Paradise by Encyclopedia. Chapter 2. Discover. The next morning, and those thereafter, begin a new chapter for Achaco. Time on this island could be separated in two parts, before and after the human. Where before her days seem to meld into a timeless, unending reel, now they are more structured as she follows the human's daily patterns. The human wakes early in the mornings, and she wakes to the sound of his clacking things together. Whether it be shells, rocks, or coconuts, he makes a racket. Perhaps she's so accustomed to the sound of the rolling waves and the calling gulls that the sharp sounds coming from his camp, even if faint, are enough to startle her awake. Either way, her days now start early. After he is content with his loud morning project, he disappears from sight. During the middle of the day, she suspects he's keeping his fair skin hidden from the sun's harsh rays in the jungle or his hut. In the late afternoon, he re-emerges for dives and beachcombing. Night is accompanied by a bright orange fire and the aroma of cooked clams over the open flame before he lets it go out for the night. All throughout, keeping herself hidden from his curious eyes is like a game. The human isn't stupid. From the very first delivery of clams, he appears to be on edge, looking over his shoulder for a glimpse of whoever or whatever is secretly helping him. But that is all he's made aware of. Unbeknownst to him, Ochaka does much more than feed her charge. She saves his life on more than one occasion. Before he goes on his own dives into the reef, she scours the area for the cone snail, the little landmine always somehow making it back to the human's beach the next day. She scoops him up in a clamshell and drops him at the edge of the reef past the wave breaks. Still, other dangers lurk in the reef. Stingrays hide under the sand. Scorpionfish hang out between the coral branches, and jellies drift in the current like venomous ghosts. These are things Ochako thinks about daily, but, in her eyes, the human doesn't seem aware of them. She can't possibly empty the entire reef of its dangers, so she sticks closer and closer to him with each passing day. Her curiosity is also steadily getting the better of her. He's positively magnetic. Creeping closer to him, Hidden behind coral heads or the natural blue fade of the water, she watches as the rolling current takes his dark curly hair and swirls his oversized white shirt like the wings of a lionfish. She's come to recognise the pattern of ever-darkening freckles upon his cheeks and tries so hard not to giggle into bubbles as those cheeks expand to hold in his short breath. She tells herself that another inch closer is fine. Just another inch. Just another inch. He is looking for her. She knows this, but he has no idea what he's looking for. It is so easy to dart out of his periphery. Every inch gained melts the risk in the next one taken. Eventually, the want to inspect him up close begins to fight bitterly against her better judgement. It isn't enough to help him. It isn't enough to watch him pitter-patter around the island and create new tools and a small camp for himself right on the shore. As the sun goes down, so does her mood. Her eyes follow him as he begins rubbing sticks together for the night's fire and she sighs. She hangs off her rock, sinking down into her arms. The loneliness creeps in hardest at night when the simplest rush of the wind between the palms stirs memories she'd rather keep buried. This island has been hers for at least a few moon cycles, and everything before the green-haired human feels as if it were automated. Eat when hungry, sleep when tired, avoid these things. Watch out for this or that, and nothing else. 
she admits that it was mind-numbing. All that time alone, she never thought of herself really alone. Some false sense of hope had kept her mind on task and yet so asleep. With the human around, she's awoken from that automation. She's reminded that she hasn't spoken to anyone since the storm brought her here. One-sided conversations with a unicorn fish doesn't count. As he works on his fire, she realises her island has been a lot like purgatory. Some endless in-between she can't escape. She has no idea where her pod is, or even if they still exist somewhere out there in the endless blue. The orange glow, not unlike the one that brought him here, alights in her periphery, and she jumps at it. It's bright against the muted colours of twilight, and that magnetic tug from before overwhelms her for a brief moment before receding. Settling back down, the feeling that she's been stuck on autopilot all this time becomes too great to bear. His presence just makes it so obvious. The want to make contact climbs into her throat and makes a nest there that chokes her. She swallows it dryly. The rhythm of the ocean goes on as it always had. It's unclear if it's the desolation or the hypnotic waves that drift her to sleep. Ochako watches the human less enthusiastically the next day as he dives for clams. He's decided to venture out further on the reef, much to Ochako's surprise, and he's taken by the waves unbeknownst to him. Following, she doesn't quite recognise this patch. Deeper and a little rockier, with corals that splay up and out like strange trees from the seafloor. Their bright orange colour dredges up the reason Ochako avoids this place. Fire coral. The human seems to be blissfully unaware of the forest of burning hell he swum into as he paddles up and down from the white sand. Ochako isn't sure what to do. The fire coral won't kill him itself, but the pain may just be enough to drown such an inexperienced swimmer in deep water. He gets awfully close to a large orange branch, and she flinches as his foot just misses it. Dread spreads like an infestation in her gut as she feels the current changing, the winds above coaxing the water to move in unexpected ways. His surfacing for the umpteenth time puts him in harm's way as a wind-driven wave pushes him straight into the arms of a large tree of fire coral. At first he's calm as he goes to swim in the opposite direction. It's when he realises he's caught on the coral somehow that panic becomes apparent in the way his eyes widen. He struggles, his pants ripping a bit more from his ankles as he kicks and thrashes to get out of it. Ochako knows he hasn't even felt the thousands of tiny harpoons or their venom yet. He's simply panicking that he's stuck underwater. As he dislodges himself, Ochako feels helpless. Her shoulders fall and her face contorts into a pained grimace as he grabs the coral with his bare hands to finally tear himself free. He can't see it, but it's obvious the fire coral has done its damage with the way the exposed skin of his hands and legs becomes bright red as he goes to the surface again for breath. It's just before he reaches it that the pain becomes obvious on his face. He doubles over, his hands curling into pained claws and his legs refuse to kick any longer. Those green eyes go wide before shutting tightly, and he grits his teeth so hard that Ochaka can remember her own running with the coral as a child. But unlike her, he can't hold his breath long enough to let the initial shock of it pass. A large bubble escapes his mouth, his face looking desperate for the surface he can no longer reach. He twitches and falls limp before Ochako recognises what's going on. He's drowning! Without a second thought, Ochako bursts towards him, her tail fin beating furiously to reach him. 
Her fear is nowhere to argue with her as she scoops him up and drags him upward. Breaking the surface, she takes her own breath and turns to him as his head lolls to the side. The thought that he must have inhaled some water hits her, and she gulps, worry paralysing her for just a moment before she's beating her tail again, this time with a human in tow towards the beach. Achako never knew she could swim so fast, but even as she rides a wave and lands on the hot beach sand, the thought that she's too late threatens to choke her. His whole body is still limp, and he makes no effort to sit up or speak, let alone breathe. Swallowing her fear for him, she fights against her own panic and saves him yet again. She isn't sure if humans and merfolk are built the same inside, but if he has lungs sort of like hers, then she figures treating him like a podmate in trouble is the best she can do. She gently turns him onto his side, pulling his right arm towards her until he's on his left side. Next is the tail, er, uh, the legs rather, that she lifts and scoots under resting his hip on her own before giving his back a few good hits with the side of a closed right fist. It's probably not what humans do, but it's what merfolk do, and it somehow works. After three hits to his back, the human coughs and spits his swallowed water onto the beach, whines and groans included. Relieved, Ochako scoots further until she is out from under him. He's still groaning and pressing his hand to his chest when she steals a glance at him. Wet tendrils of green hair stick to his face and his eyes are still shut as the pain, either from the fire coral or the burning of salt water in his throat, continues to ravage his nerves. Ochako still isn't thinking about the risk she's taking. All she can think about is the limited space between them and how it soothes some underlying longing she wasn't aware of initially. Her heart still sinks. Glancing down, she can see the harsh redness from his calves down to his feet and he groans again. There's only one solution she can think of to make the pain go away. She hops around, grasping a foot in her hand and pulls him further into the surf. The water meets her and she dunks his feet into the waves in an effort to wash the loose stingers away. The venom is already working its dark magic, but if she could just... She feels eyes at the nape of her neck and the realisation hits her. What she's been doing. Slowly she turns her head and meets his gaze the green eyes wide in what could only be described as a synthesis of confusion, disbelief, and shock. The venom doesn't seem to be taking up any of his attention anymore as he stares at her before making a sound. Uh. Escapes his throat, but it isn't followed by anything. He's dumbfounded. His eyes, like emeralds, stare into her own brown irises for a long, thoughtless moment. The call of a gull seems to split the seconds, and the moment to escape has already passed. Still, she jumps and goes to dive back into the water, her better judgement rushing to meet her panic. Her back is to him when he stops her with a strangled... Wait! She obliges. She hears him wince, and all of the hints of fear, besides her pounding heart, melt away with that sound. Turning to face him, she sees him clutching his hands to his chest, the stingers from the fire coral still embedded in the skin there, making it raw and red and undoubtedly painful. Ochako sighs and softens. There is no point in leaving now, and besides, he still needs her. Then again, perhaps being this close could protect him better. Maybe she could tell him the things to avoid instead of waiting for him to collide with those things as he did today. Or she could regret it, and scold herself later if she doesn't pay the ultimate price for staying. Nervously, she takes his hands and dunks them in the next wave that moves under them, rubbing each hand gently in her own. Her fingers stroke the raw skin of his palms, her thumbs gliding over his knuckles. 
His hands are so much wider than hers, and they're quite rough, as if he'd worked them for years before ever landing on her island. Much more importantly, though, they haven't done anything to harm her, even after his discovery of her. In fact, he seems to relax, the agitation from the pain melting into the water, leaving his hands resting softly in hers. Her eyes dart up sheepishly to his face. It's a bit embarrassing how nervous she is. Can he feel her tremble? He doesn't seem to notice. His expression is odd. It's as if he's the one scared half to death. It sounds like he's having a hard time breathing, too. His lips are shut tightly into an unnerved squiggle, and it's actually he who is shaking the most of the two of them. Most importantly, it's his eyes that give his surprise away as they dart across her body, settling on her face only for a moment before catching a glimpse of her bright pink and yellow tail in the surf. He can't seem to focus, as if his mind can't put her upper and lower halves together as one. Then his eyes settle on her chest before he whips his whole head away from her, his face turning much too red much too quickly for a sunburn to explain it. She cocks her head. You're a... He starts, but his voice is hoarse, the salt from the ocean probably still sitting unkindly in his throat. He clears it before speaking again. <coughs> You're a mermaid. That's obvious enough, but she needs to remember, as often as she'd seen him, this was his first time seeing her. His revelation seems to come with some expectation that something was there in the blue looking out for him, but it's clear now that he hadn't ever guessed that creature had been a mermaid. And he is still trying with all of his might not to look at her again, unless it's to feast his eyes on her tail, the very part of her anatomy most unlike his own. Unfortunately for him, his eyes also can't help but be drawn to the other bit of her that is unlike him. Ochako looks down at her chest and, finding nothing out of the ordinary, stares back up at him. Are you okay? The deep redness in his cheeks doesn't go away, but now he's staring intently into her face, a slight angle to his head and a widening of those eyes, as if he's been bamboozled again. He chokes. You... you... you can... you can speak? <laughs> Better than you, I suppose. She answers curtly, although it's with a smile and a giggle. This human sure is strange. I, uh, yes. Well, I guess that's... I'm sorry. I just... He can't seem to get the words out. Now it appears there are three things challenging his understanding of life and the universe. He takes his hand from hers, still stumbling over his own muttering, and begins to remove his brown vest. Well, you see, um, mermaid? He stops himself and then asks... Do you... have a name? It's clear he is still overcoming his shock as he speaks, and Ochako is gentle, paying it no mind. Ochako, you have a name? Human? Yes, I do. M my name is Izuku Midoriya. His jitters seem to begin melting away with a soft smile as the conversation goes on, and yet he still seems so utterly entranced. Two names? Oh, I suppose our cultures may be different. Our livelihoods. I, I'm surprised you know so many human words. I have to guess merfolk have their own language. Or, or do you use other sounds as dolphins might? Uh, unless that's rude to ask. I, I don't know if you respect dolphins enough to feel comfortable being compared to one. He's muttering again, and although it's strange to her, Ochaka can't say whether it's just a human quirk or not. Her thoughts usually stay inside her skull, and they don't typically come spilling from her mouth in this way. Nevertheless, the depth of his thoughts are truly intriguing, and she waits for him to stop himself. 
I'm, uh, but that's not important. But yes, two names. I suppose if you have only one personal name, then you can just call me by mine, which is the Izuku part. Okay, Izuku. She says, testing the name out on her tongue. Izuku sighs shakily, his eyes darting away from her. He's begun to remove his clothing once more, now unbuttoning his white long-sleeve shirt. The shirt splits open, and Ochako is drawn to a small key fastened to a string around his neck. The brass shines in the sunlight and captivates her for a moment before he speaks again. I have so many questions for you, but if you wouldn't mind... He hands his shirt to her and she stares, first at the wet clothing and then back at him for instructions. Uh, oh, um, you see, uh, Ochako, I, I'm, I mean, I can see that, um, nakedness isn't really something merfolk find awkward, but, but for humans, it's, uh, really private, and, um, if you wouldn't mind putting this on, at least over your ch- chest, I'd, I'd feel a lot less rude. Rude? Uh, not respectful? Not nice. I feel like I'm not being nice to you. If that makes sense. She can see him tremble, the redness of his cheeks returning with a vengeance under his dark freckles. If it will make you feel better, then I can do that, Achako says gently. She takes the shirt from him as he thanks her sheepishly, finding the sleeves before wrapping the rest behind her. She pulls the sleeves under her arms and around her chest before tying them into a knot. All done. He's now able to turn to her, his smile a bashful squiggle. His voice is soft and lowers as he finally calms down. Thanks. Thank you. I'm sorry, I just... How do you know so many human words? How are we able to speak to one another? How... Achako interrupts his muttering by placing a hand softly on his knee and moving it back and forth. He jumps out of his head to listen to her answer. We are familiar with humans in the area. She says, and leaves it at that. Although he's listening, nodding at the answer... He's become distracted with her tail once again. Achaka moves her head so her eyes line up with his and she giggles. (laughs) She gets the curiosity. It isn't as if she isn't curious of him, too. Nevertheless, Izuku apologises once again, becoming flustered and waving his arms around to bat away his seemingly rude behaviour. Achako chuckles. He sure is interesting. I don't mean to stare, he says, but I always... Heck... Everyone thinks merfolk are just legends. I never thought for a minute that I'd ever discover one. And one that can speak. Or, no. Discovering that you can speak. And that you can speak very well. We can converse like this. It's truly fascinating. This is truly the discovery of a lifetime. No, of the century. Izuku's eyes seem to come alive and Achako stares with a smile. His happiness is somehow infectious even though she can't make out exactly what he's happy about. He is using a lot of words she doesn't recognise. Still, he continues to ramble as he puts his vest back on and then moves his hands over himself. I... I should record this. He cuts himself off when his hands have found nothing. The abrupt pause causes Ochako to cock her head in confusion again as Izuku feels around his person and looks in the surf for something. Upon realising whatever he's looking for is lost... His shoulders sink and the light in his eyes goes out like a weak flame. Right. (sighs) He says glumly, followed by a heavy sigh. My notebook went missing in the storm. Achako swallows. The stark shift in his mood is enough to make her own feelings follow, and she's wallowing in disappointment alongside him. 
She wants to bring that smile back so badly, but she doesn't know him well enough to even try. She's also tired of being out of the loop. Notebook? Ah. He stammers, pulling himself out of self-pity to answer her. It's, um, do you know what paper is? Yes. Oh, good. Well, it's a lot of papers. A collection of papers, and... It's clear to her he's considering every word he chooses. And they're all tied together with string. Mine is leather-bound, uh, covered in an animal skin that you've probably never seen before. And it's got a lock on it that only I can open, with this key. Izuku touches the key dangling from his neck. The image of the object she'd found on the seabed weeks ago springs to her mind. Could they be the same thing? Only one way to find out. Achako beams with the thought. Perhaps this is how she could bring back his smile. She slides into the surf and dives, making a beeline east for her secluded lagoon. When she comes up for air, she hears Izuku shout to her, his confusion evident in the way his brows are furrowed. He tries to keep up with her on the shore and stumbles in the sand. She giggles. Does he think she won't come back? Once she's past the rock face of the lagoon, he's unable to follow her, unless he'd prefer to swim or climb the cliffs. Achaka doesn't mind. She can hear him shouting something from beyond the rock, and she yells back to give her a moment. Sliding up on the secret beach of her lagoon, she pulls herself through the sand to a crevice in the rock. The tide doesn't come up this far, so it's a perfect little hole to keep her human treasures, including what she is now positive is called a notebook. She removes the locked, leather-bound pages from the nook and whips around to return to her human still calling to her. She's now aware that most things that belong to humans are probably best kept dry, so she holds the notebook above the waves as she circles back around to the other side of the lagoon wall. Izuku is frantic on the beach, she can tell, but he relaxes upon seeing her again with a dash of curiosity as to what she's brought him. Coming in with a wave, Ochako presents the notebook, a bit tattered, probably still waterlogged, but as safe as she could keep it. His face lights up again, and Ochako feels elation well up into her chest. She doesn't take any time to analyse it, not when Azuku happily takes it from her grasp and removes the key from his neck. The little bronze piece fits perfectly into the matching bronze keyhole on the notebook, and it just as easily snaps open with a click. Suddenly the pages see sunlight again, and Azuku's happy visage changes to one that's overwhelmingly grateful. I can't believe you found it, he says slowly, his eyes stuck to the pages as he flips through it. I thought it was lost forever. Gosh. And the words are still legible, too. He seems to feel her moving in close to take a look, and he turns the book so that they can both see the contents. Most of what Ochaka can make out are scribbles. She knows the scribbling is written human words, but she can't decipher most of them, especially the longer ones. The details are very different than what she's been exposed to in the past. Between the paragraphs are plants and animals drawn in the same black ink. Ochaka recognises many of them. A gull? Clownfish? Stingrays? Spotted dolphins? A palm tree? She points them out to Izuku, who gives her the human names gently, as if she's learning them for the first time. In return, she commends his drawings. They're certainly better than she'd ever seen on paper scraps lost to the wind. That's a huge honor. <laughs> he giggles. To have a mermaid tell me I've drawn the animals in her world so well. Why draw them, though? Achako asks. Don't you see a lot of them on your ship? Some of them, yes. Izuku says. I draw them to show other humans who have never seen them. Achako stares. She has no concept of the lives of humans. As far as she was aware, humans lived on ships. 
Izuku seems to assume that she might have that preconception, and explains that humans actually live on land, in homes made of stone or wood thousands upon thousands of miles away. It blows her world wide open! Ochako was never worldly, her pod had no reason to traverse the open ocean. The big blue beyond the atolls was a deep, dark desert that promised certain death to any merfolk that strayed too far into it. According to Izuku, humans crossed oceans all the time in search of discoveries like the ones recorded in his notebook. They call me a naturalist, Izuku went on. My job is to find new animals and plants, and if I can't take any back home with me as samples, then I draw them for other people to see. Achaka could tell there was more, but given her limited knowledge of his world and his language, it was the best they could do for now. Yet the wonder of his life intrigued her. It now all made sense why he wasn't good at swimming and had limited knowledge of the perils that lie in wait among the coral heads. He really lived on land. The ship he had come into the atoll on was simply an extension of it, allowing him to explore the distant South Pacific that he now made very clear was so far from his home. He travelled for eight moon cycles, what he called months, to land at this very shore. An air of wistfulness creeps into his voice just before he falls silent. The flip of each page seems to grow heavier. Achako feels it in her chest, that homesickness. Although merfolk do not have permanent residencies as she just learned humans do, she can still appreciate the loneliness of being apart from family and the familiarity of a place. And the unending uncertainty of being trapped here. I wonder if anyone else survived. He wonders out loud. His voice sounds impossibly far away. The pictures and words on the pages mean less and less as he passes by them faster as if he's looking for the answer to his predicament there on the parchment. After a pause, he stops, as if suddenly remembering he is with company. Achako studies him, and he bashfully apologises before getting up from the sand. He closes the book and tucks it under his arm. We didn't really get a chance, but I'm assuming it's been you who's been bringing me those clams? Achako gives him a weak smile and a reserved nod. What she's done for him seems meaningless in the grand scheme of things. Thank you. He says chasing away her doubt. He rubs his hands together, still a bit red and irritated from the fire coral. You've really saved me. I would definitely be one step from death by now if not for you. Or rather, definitely dead as a doornail after today's mishap. The idiom is lost on her, but Ochako recognises the sincerity and lets herself melt. She's done something good despite her fears, and she feels the reward coming in his friendship, at least for the time he's here. There is no guarantee on his continued survival, the island and its surrounding reefs hide many dangers. Perhaps his people will come looking for him, as she hopes her pod will do for her one day. Until then, she marvels at the unlikely partnership. He seems to toss his sadness away as he looks out towards the horizon with an air of confidence and courage. It's past the middle of the day, but the sun will continue to shine for many more hours at full strength. Izuku reminds her of it, and goes to leave for his hut on the beach before turning around as a thought enters his mind. Maybe this evening you can teach me to hunt for my own clams? He asks sheepishly. He explained he'd prefer not to be such a burden to her, followed by more endearing rambling she can barely understand. But she smiles, lifting her tail from the waves happily. Of course!